Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, Parenting SOS. Now, having a baby changes your life in so many ways, but few of us talk about how it affects our sex lives. Today, I'm joined by Kate Moyle. Kate is a psychosexual and relationship therapist who specialises in working with those who are struggling with difficulties with their sex lives and sexuality, including many who are impacted by the stresses of modern day life. Hello, Kate. How are you? Hi, good morning. I'm good. Good. Obviously, this is such a huge topic. You know, we all know sex is a massive thing anyway, and it comes with so many nuanced feelings. And, you know, and whenever you start learning about sex, you're impacted by so many different influences mm. and stuff. And it's such a difficult topic anyway. Then put on top of that, having a baby and how that changes your body. It's so complex. And actually, it's something that we don't really talk about enough because obviously it's a massive part of your relationship as well. Yeah, I think it is so massive. And the thing that also is so 
both interesting and confusing about sex is we think that it's just this one thing, but it means something slightly different to all of us. Yeah. And then if we're in a relationship, it can mean something different to both partners. And that in itself is something that means that we can get so stuck in our sex lives really easily because then we don't also get taught that it's okay to talk about it or that we should have questions. This assumption we should all have it worked out all the time Mm. and that doesn't give us any solutions when we are struggling. Do you think that's because when we first start having sex, there's almost an expectation of going into it and being this sexy person and, you know, just having this air of confidence about you and Certainly growing up for me, there were so many lab mags and there were lots of porn that was aimed at Mm. guys. So you're going into it, you almost felt this expectation put on you. I think expectations are one of the biggest things that we struggle with Mm. when it comes to our sex lives because I think we see this version of sex represented and it's always glamorous and amazing and orgasmic and pleasurable and no one makes any weird noises there's no kind of no one gets cramped no one falls off the bed (laughs) or the kid doesn't walk in or you know the doorbell goes whatever it is and we see that these versions of sex are the only thing we really have to compare ourselves against and then as everyday people with everyday lives and everydayness happening it never quite seems the same but we aren't all taught that we should say talk about it or have that open communication about it or say, do you know what, this isn't really working, should we try something else? Because there seems to be this inherent messaging, which is that if we have to ask anything, that we are in some way failing or not good at sex. Yeah. And actually, it's such a subjective thing. It's going to be so different for so many people. And I guess if you've been with your partner for a long time, like things change. Things change Mm. within you and... Me and Tom have known each other for 24 years. We've been the couple for 19 years now. We rarely talk about sex. It's reading your work and and watching what you do that kind of makes me go, oh, yeah, we don't have those conversations, actually. I think that's more normal for people than it is for couples, particularly when we're in long-term relationships because we know each other so well Yeah, that there sometimes is the assumption that we don't have to talk about it and it's just it's something that happens. And I think having a baby is the perfect example of a big change that our sex lives can go through. And we don't often talk about it until we need to when yeah. it comes to sex, whereas other parts of our lives, we're much more proactive about talking about it, discussing it, thinking about what we might want to do differently or what we might want to change. And... I think that so many couples can go their whole relationships, their whole lives without really ever talking about it. What you just said, we don't talk about it until we need to. And I guess that by not talking about it until you need to means that by that point, there is a problem, there is an issue there. And perhaps having that conversation come in makes it feel like there's a problem rather than it just being Mm. something that we just talk about generally. Yeah, and I think that we have that with sex in general as a subject and we see that we kind of portion it off. We kind of put it to one side. We're like, oh, here's everything else. You know, my mental health, my physical health, my relationships, my life. But sex kind of has its own special space. We don't have this kind of integrated view of sexual wellness and sexual well-being. And that's something, a huge part of the work that I do and other psychosexual therapists do, because it is a massive part of our health and our well-being and we know that because we know that when people are struggling with sex that it can impact their self-esteem their relationships how they feel about themselves their mental health and that when they are struggling with things like their mental health that we can see it show up in sex as well Mm. and so we do know that it's all connected but we just haven't got there quite yet 
in terms of where we have in other areas of our well-being. Yeah. So what exactly is a psychosexual therapist? What do you do within your job? <laughs> do you know what? It's a job that a lot of people don't know exists. But basically it's talking therapy, so like psychotherapy, counselling, but with a specialism or a focus on sex and relationships. I always describe it like the sign above the door says it's okay to talk about sex here. And I think that that is needed sometimes because people are so stressed or distracted or upset about what's going on that they need to know that they can go somewhere and have that conversation and they're not going to walk through the door and be faced with, oh, we don't talk about that here. Yeah. Because we get that a lot in our general lives. And do people either come to you on their own or as a couple? Both, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen a pattern of when people think it's the right time to see a sex therapist? I'd say a lot of the time it could have been a bit earlier. Right. But it's really difficult. I never underestimate how hard it is for someone to send that email or book that first appointment. It's a big thing to have to do. Yeah. And it's really vulnerable and it's quite intimate as well in that way. You know, talking about sex when it doesn't feel like it comes naturally to us is then a big thing to talk about ourselves as well. Mm. You know, when Sex Education came out on Netflix, I loved it because suddenly everyone was talking about sex but not talking about their own sex lives, but there was this huge conversation going on around the show and everyone talking about it. And I loved like listening to people talking about it on the bus. And in a funny way, it was like a breakthrough because there was this big conversation happening about sex, but not everyone having to talk about themselves. But yeah. it does create a bit of a shift, something like that. And things like that, they just change the conversation, don't they? So I always feel like before Sex and City that gave license to lots of women to talk about their sex mm. life. But it's also, you know, having things like sex education, it kind of brings the conversation forward, it brings it into modern times, but it also gives it a different spin, a different way of focusing on it. Because I think for a long time in my head, sex is something that's been spoken about in locker rooms by guys. Like that in my head, I think that was there. And I think it is like American movies and things like that, whereas something like Sex and City coming along or sex education completely flipped that. Definitely. And I think it shows all the different ways that we can talk about it. And it's okay to talk about it or okay to say, do you know what, I'm really not enjoying sex at the moment or this is happening. Has this ever happened to you? I think that feeling, one of the biggest things that I think that people feel when they're struggling with sex is alone yeah. in their experience. They feel isolated and that is such a horrific feeling. And that makes everything so much worse. And those two things completely compound each other. And actually, there's such a big way that we can change that, which is by shifting the conversation, shifting the narrative, by kind of normalising. You know, we talk about normalising sex. It is normal. And it's something that, you know, so many people are doing all the time in all these different ways. And we've come such a long way. But yeah. there still just is that not quite, as you said, not talking about it like we talk about everything else. On Parenting SOS, I ask you the three questions that you are asked mm. the most. I'm going to read them to you so that you can answer them. The first one is, I feel really nervous or anxious about having sex postnatally. What can I do about that? This is probably the most common because we also have all these ideas about how sex will be different. But as we know, and this is, you know, if we've had our babies ourselves rather than through something like surrogacy or we've become parents through adoption... But we know that we kind of go through this roller coaster with mm. getting pregnant, being pregnant, childbirth, recovery. And in the UK, we don't recommend you have intercourse until after your six week checkup. But then that six week check can suddenly feel like a green light, which is terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. 
because you're like, what? Like yeah. six weeks has flown by, as we all know from having babies. And suddenly it can kind of feel like that green light and we feel really unprepared. Mm. And we might feel differently about our body. We might have still been having bleeding. We might still be kind of quite uncomfortable. Whether we've had a vaginal birth or a C-section, there's that sense of what's this going to be like? Yeah. And sex and anxiety can become so paired, even if we've been with our partner for years, even if we know them so well and we've had sex with them hundreds of times, we fear what might be different. Yeah. And what that creates a lot of the time is avoidance. And also we are exhausted. Mm -hmm. We might be breastfeeding, are sleep deprived. If we have more than one child, you know, there's just so much going on. Well, and sex is such an emotional Mm. thing. And I think we often forget about the emotion that is connected to sex. And at Mm -hmm. that point, after having a baby, a newborn in the house, so everything is so heightened hormonally, emotionally. To have sex added into the mix as well, it makes sense that you'd feel anxious sort of adding that into your life again because you don't know how it's going to be different. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is for some couples, it might kind of fit back in quite naturally and it might be something that, you know, they feel ready to kind of approach in their own time and it's something that they don't have to overthink or don't have to think too much. But for the ones that do, you can suddenly feel awkward with someone that you have had sex with for years And that can make us feel pretty uncomfortable because we're like, how do we do this? And actually, the reality is we just say to people, kind of just take it slow, take your time. You know, you don't have to rush back into it. There are also plenty of ways that you can be intimate and sexual without it having to be about intercourse. And as psychosexual therapists, a lot we talk about this idea of breaking down the version of sex, which is sex is only intercourse, because there are all these different things that you can do and ways of connecting and ways of being intimate, which can work for you, particularly if you might be worried about one type of sex at the moment or Mm. one thing. You don't have to force yourself to do that. And actually doing that when you don't want to is a negative thing for your sex life a lot of the time. I wonder how many people feel like there's a pressure on them to start having sex again. You know, that Mm. thing of your body's been growing a human for, you know, many months and... Now, I know that my husband and all of my pregnancies is a bit like, I'll leave you alone, not going to poke my baby's head, all that jazz that men say when women are pregnant. And I do think that because there's been that gap, there's almost that tendency to feel pressure or, you know, Mm. wanting to please that person because you haven't had sex in so long. Absolutely. And the thing is, what can happen is we can read any approach or anything that might be considered to be initiation yeah we can read that as pressure yeah you said what point do people come to therapy a lot I think a lot of the time it's when those moments have broken down mm. because yes we miss the sex but we miss the intimacy the closeness the ability to kind of move towards each other in those ways but when sex has become a pressure point we don't want to disappoint or lead up you know I hear from people all the time I don't want to lead them on and so we kind of cut out those things. I describe them as bridges. Mm. But are the bits of our relationship where we feel noticed, where we feel seen, where we feel affection or attraction, and um, we lose out on those because yeah. of the potential that they might lead to sex. And if sex is something that's become deprioritized or not important to us at the moment, we... Cut off everything else. Yeah, we kind of try and just kind of separate ourselves from it a bit. 
I wonder how do you actually start talking about if you've you're in a relationship how do you start having those conversations about sex if you never have before it's yeah I mean for me I always say it's the thing that no one ever wants to hear when everyone's like what's the biggest thing you do to change your sex life and like talk about it and everyone's like oh that's the answer I did exactly I was like oh really that's a you know, classic therapist thing to say I think sometimes if you really want to get the conversation started but you don't know how using something like a prompt whether it's a podcast episode like this or an article or you know a tv episode or yeah just using something as a prompt because sometimes we feel more comfortable if we feel like it doesn't come from us directly yeah and what I also say don't do it when you're having sex don't kind of or when you're in bed or try and talk about it in a different space or in a different time when and if you say to your partner I'd really like us to talk about this and they don't feel ready for it just say okay well look I'm just putting it out there and maybe you know in a couple of days or when you've had to think about it because it's particularly if you've been thinking about it they can't read your mind so you might be a bit ahead of them but we take that as a rejection so often and we just think oh well you know that's that fine or they're rejecting me yeah actually they just might need a bit of time to kind of get their head around it as well yeah and I guess actually if you're constantly pushing away advances or kisses or any type of contact you know Mm. there's already that feeling of rejection it's so complex the emotions within it yeah, it really is. And the thing is, so much of it also comes from assumption because that mind reading thing, we see couples do that all the time. You know, oh, I know what you're going to say before you say it. Or <laughs> I know how this is going to go. And sometimes we have to push back on that. Yeah. But again, these are the things that we have to do deliberately and intentionally. And we're not taught all this stuff. We're not taught about sex and relationships in schools. Not really. No. You know, not in the way that we, it's not a part of our education, particularly not in this country. And so everyone has that sense of, oh, I should just know what I'm doing. Or we should know, oh, we've been together 10 years. How do we not know how to do this? You know, what does that mean about us? And then we feel ashamed or we feel embarrassed. And that's where kind of doing it intentionally as something that kind of is between you is a really big thing. Mm, Absolutely. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Your next question. I feel no desire for sex at the moment. Sex at the bottom of my priority list and I don't think about it, but I do want to have it. 
I don't ever feel in the mood for sex, but when I'm having it, I enjoy it. Mm. There's a lot in there. So I have no desire for sex at the moment. Yeah, so when we talk about desire, we're talking about that kind of motivation Mm. for sex. And we know from research, one of my favourite bits of research, found that there were 237 reasons for why people said they had sex. (laughs) My favourite was to keep warm. (laughs) I love it so much. Um, But I think we think that the motivation for sex has to always be, I want to have sex. Right. And that's where we see, for example, trying to conceive has that changed because the motivation changes. You know, we're having sex because we want to try and conceive. So when we're thinking about desire, what we see represented everywhere, you know, in movies and on screen, is that spontaneous, kind of out of the blue. All a bit steamy. Yeah, against the door, ripping each other's clothes off. And that is what we call kind of spontaneous desire. And actually what we know is that particularly in long-term relationships, we have this more responsive style of desire which is once I start something I kind of have the desire to continue Mm. and we seem to think that if our desire operates that way that there's something wrong with us and so people quite often say well I I don't ever think about sex out of the blue or I don't ever spontaneously feel turned on and then act on it and so I'm kind of waiting for that to happen and it never happens like where's it gone you know what's the problem what's wrong with me And actually, if we understand that we can trigger it or create the context within it, it can happen, Mm -hmm. then we take the pressure off ourselves. But we have to know that is how we can operate. And so we kind of move into desire, if that makes sense. Yeah. I hear that all the time from people. I like it when I have it, but I just never want to start it or I never think about starting it. Yeah. Especially when there are children in the mix, there's so much going on. You don't want it to feel like just another thing that you have to... do especially when the kids are young feeling like at the end of the day you are touched out to have someone else touching you is just like get off me you know to have someone else wanting something from you it's such a big thing that touched out thing because also we know that kind of parents and caregivers particularly that kind of under five age is really intense and we know that children are one of the biggest things that change a relationship and I don't think many of us go into having our kids thinking that it's not going to. Yeah. But when we also think about those things that boost desire, they are not to do with parenting a lot of mm. the time. They are to do with us like feeling what's going on in our bodies and noticing ourselves and feeling good and they're being kind of, you know, having a kiss with our partner or connecting with our partner. And those things become less when we have tiny people running around because they're our priority and they're where we're kind of putting our attention. So there's opportunities for desire, again, to be triggered. Are there less just out of the fact of that we have so much more going on? Yeah. And that, you know, that mental workload, that kind of invisible workload that we know comes with a role like parenting also is, you know, not a turn on, isn't going to kind of push our accelerator in that direction. Well, you're usually covered in like different bodily fluids, yours or yeah. the, or the child's, <laughs> you know. Everything's elasticated or baggy. You mm-hmm. You're not feeling your best or even yourself, you know, whatever that means. There's been a shift. Well, most of us also, you know, we don't almost pay a lot of attention to ourselves yeah. at that point, just out of pure minutes in the day. Mm-hmm. And that's where... You said it earlier that sex can kind of be on the priority list, can kind of slip down the priority list because yeah. we don't need it 
mm-hmm. in that same way that we need other drives. So we have to then kind of intentionally do it. Now, we also see that postnatally, there are things like breastfeeding, which can impact sex because of the dip in estrogen, we can have vaginal dryness and that can make sex painful. But nobody talks about that. And so, so many people are having painful sex whilst breastfeeding without knowing that there is something that can be done to help them. And again, that assumption then is, okay, what's the problem with me? Mm. what is happening here or is this about the birth or is this normal and again we don't have that kind of narrative that says oh no that's okay that's about hormone levels so you might actually be feeling good and interested in sex but your body isn't working with you in the way that it used to actually that's your third question should I feel embarrassed about the fact that I need to use lubricant do you think that's because we have these connotations with lube, it's that thing of teenage boys sat in their rooms, you know, (laughs) but that is, isn't it? That's what triggers off in my mind. But actually, it makes sex much more pleasurable and you shouldn't feel ashamed or embarrassed by the fact that you have to use it. Absolutely not. And it's something I bang on about all the time. And, you know, I took sachets of lube to my antenatal classes when I had them because I was like, right, just, just so everyone knows, this can happen and there's an easy solution. It's just so stigmatised for no reason. And it's actually a really cost-effective, useful way of introducing something to your sex life which helps. And if it helps, like, why wouldn't you use it? And I think it has all those connotations of, oh, well, it must be a problem because you're not turned on enough. Yeah. You're not in control of your hormone levels. Yeah. You don't hear of that, though, do you? The fact that it's your hormone levels that are, you know, doing what they do. I would never have put those two together Mm. well we hear about it a lot in menopause because we know that estrogen levels are obviously on the decline and they dip and one of the big side effects is painful sex vaginal atrophy Mm -hmm. and vaginal dryness but we don't talk about the fact that it does happen at other times so for example breastfeeding and I just think if we just said that to everyone at antenatal classes or at that six weeks follow-up and just said just so you know this can happen so if it's happening for you don't worry about it But, you know, you can help yourself by using something like a lubricant, which, you know, means that there's no friction, which means Mm -hmm. that sex won't be so painful. And if you are having continual problems with sex being painful, then come back and see us or go and see your medical professional because it shouldn't be. What about the fact that physically you will feel so different and building up that confidence because... You know, I mean, I've I've pushed three babies out of there. I know it's not the same as it was when I was 18. Mm. And I think there is an emotional and psychological aspect to that and to your confidence yeah. and to how you then approach sex. What's a good way, an appropriate way of kind of starting to have sex again after having a baby and discovering those differences? Is it communication and kind of talking about it afterwards or before or, you know, obviously not during? You don't want to be during it and going, does (laughs) does it feel really big down there? You know, it's not going to help you. And also, actually, I remember years ago, I actually know who it was, but there was someone on a TV show who said that watching his wife give birth was like watching his favourite pub burn down. And I don't think images like that help women when they then return to sex because it feels like a part of them is ruined or missing. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think we also see those kind of things presented as jokes. Yeah, and it's not because women will take that on and it will Mm. affect us. It it has to. You know, well, some not everyone, but a lot of people it will. Definitely, and I think that you know, for me, and I work with a lot of men as well who 
have been through pregnancy and childbirth with their partners and things there's a huge level of respect there yeah a lot of the time but I think that we all know those stories we all know that it's a there's that narrative and I think they are really unhelpful because then we start thinking oh is that me Mm -hmm. and in terms of kind of getting back to sex taking I mean it's a kind of an ironic use of language but baby steps so it might be that we actually just need to get used to each other physically again with an agreement that we're not going to jump straight back into sex that we're actually just going to try and boost this part of our physical relationship or that we are going to take it slow that we might do things differently and I think one of the things is not assuming that it will be the same but kind of treating it as where we're at now because distraction is such a sex interrupter and so the more we can just focus on okay like what's happening now how is this working what do we feel comfortable with because that's the other thing immediately certain things like positions might not feel comfortable or if people have had episiotomies or tearing that there might be things that are not currently available to you that you used to be and that you used to really enjoy and again breastfeeding can interrupt how we feel about our bodies or our breasts which mm. might have previously been a really big kind of part of our sex life and so we might have to rethink how we want to do that how we want to feel comfortable with those kind of touch and I think telling our partner is the only thing that we can do to make it clear because they can't know what's going on in our head and they will have their probably own anxieties or fears or worries as well do you think that when it comes to things like episiotomies and scarring and things like that and those changes that part of it is also us accepting those changes I always say like Mm. mentally and emotionally that you can't go through life and not change. Like if you stay stagnant, then you're a bit of a fool. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think your body changes along the way as well. We're never going to have the same body that we did when we were 18. Is part of that accepting where you are now? I can remember after giving birth, getting a mirror and and looking and kind of going, Mm. where are we at? You know, because I think we fear it so much. And I think we fear the change because we never get taught that sex changes and actually I would say the most natural thing for sex to do is that it does change Mm. because we change and everything in our life and sex is so context dependent we know that what is going on around us completely changes our experience of sex so what might have felt amazing six months ago might now feel not good for us or might not feel satisfying or actually we might be thinking do you know what actually that does make me feel physically uncomfortable I'm not really enjoying that so much but we used to do it that way so I guess that's what we should stick to and then that creates that negativity Mm. around sex so we're in our heads we're distracted we're not really focusing on what's happening for us physically and then we're really not going to enjoy it we're not going to get that physical satisfaction because psychologically we're in a completely different place yeah we actually asked the Hive Mum Have Baby community whether they had any questions for you, but we also asked them if they had a lower sex drive since having a baby, and 90% of them said that they did, mm. which is for so many different reasons. But they've sent in loads of questions for you, which I'd love to dive into. A one person asked, does sex change only for women who have had a natural birth, or can it change after a C-section delivery as well? Change for everyone, because yeah. because of that biopsychosocial. So... Also, things like C-section, we might feel differently about having pressure on our stomachs. We might not feel comfortable about how our body looks. We might not feel comfortable about how it feels. And for every person who has given birth, there are going to be different factors affecting them because it's 
not just physical Mm. but yeah it absolutely can create changes for you and I think again for me helping people to learn how to adapt their sex lives yeah and what I would say to you is do what works you know just do what works for you and Emily Nagoski who is an absolute kind of goddess in my world always talks about pleasure is the measure and it's just such a good phrase for taking away that kind of goal orientated focus of like where do we think we need to get to but actually just thinking what are we enjoying now yeah okay someone else has written in saying I'm nine months postpartum I've had stitches due to a tear and now sex is a little painful I also have no drive you know what there's so much of people saying similar things that they have no drive it's not something that they even feel like they can focus on yeah for them would it go back to those bridges and to those other ways of not thinking of it as intercourse but those other things of that feeling of closeness yeah absolutely and I think you know we talk about kind of intentionally like boosting those things Mm. because what we will notice sometimes is that when we are having an extended kiss or an extended hug or cuddling up to each other on the sofa or having a bath together or just lying in bed together is that sometimes we notice that we are responding, that Mm -hmm. we might be feeling aroused. And arousal is that body's physical process of kind of preparing for sex. And we notice it kick in. And then we're like, oh my God, there it is. Yeah. And that in itself can be quite a powerful thing. But also we need to, I talk about it as in kind of um, like switching off to turn on. And when we are parenting, there is so much all mm-hmm. the time you know the to-do list is never done mm-hmm. and so sometimes we do need that shift in order to switch off a bit from everything that's happening to focus on that one part of our lives or our partners or you know just having some intimacy or some connection I think we can forget that those moments are there so it's worth having that conversation with your partner as well and kind of going look the idea of this is daunting for me right now so before you're in that mm. moment but I want to have that closeness with you. So focusing on sort of the kissing, the touching, the being close physically without feeling like you've got to take it there because at some point it will go there, but without, you know, it hanging over you. Yes, because when we focus on just sex, it becomes a goal. And when it becomes a goal, it becomes a pressure. And then we're a bit kind of pass or fail about it. And we don't want that. We want it to be something that kind of just you know, emerges from what we're already doing or we're having a good time and we kind of, I talk about sometimes it's kind of like melting from one to the other. Mm. And that can feel tricky when we are nervous, when we are scared or anxious or don't know what to expect. And I think that, again, sometimes people just say, okay, let's just not have sex for a while, but let's enjoy being around each other physically again and the Gottmans who are amazing relationship experts always talk about a six second kiss and a 10 second hug and they call it a kiss with potential Mm -hmm. and I love that because if you think about it so often we're kind of like a peck on the lips right okay gotta go you do the school run I've got to get to work one's got to it almost gets into like nan vibe sometimes as well where you had a sound like you was your kid (laughs) (laughs) we have to intentionally change those things yeah one person has said I've lost my confidence I've no idea how to bring it back how do we change you know the way that we view ourselves if we're not happy within ourselves if we've got you know so many insecurities about 
how we look, how we feel, we don't feel confident in ourselves, how can we then, you know, be that person for someone else and feel desirable? It's about working out what makes you feel good. Yeah. And feeling desirable is different to being desired, if that makes sense, because it's yeah. how we feel about ourselves. And I think that's one of the things that actually, when we talk about sex, we're so often thinking, what does that other person think of me? And actually what we know is that so much of it happens in how we see ourselves. So I would say, try and do things that make you feel good about your body and build on that relationship with your body. So it might be something really simple, like getting a moisturizer which smells amazing you really like the feel of and just getting back in touch with your body in a way which doesn't feel pressurized and sexual but allows you just to build up that sense of sensuality again and changing your environment to work out how it can work for you is it less distracting for you if you have the lights dimmed is it that you feel more relaxed if you've had a bath or a shower mm. you know what is it is it that wearing an item of clothing that feels good against your skin is something that feels quite sensual and that helps you to kind of tune into that in sex. Because I think that anything that helps us to bring our attention into what we're feeling in our bodies is a really important pillar of sex. Yeah. One person has said, I haven't had sex with my husband for four years. He doesn't want to hurt me after the menopause. I mean, that's a statement rather than a question. But it, mm. I guess it goes back to those sort of communicating and seeing what you can do yeah definitely and I think that you know we're also in a time when there are so many amazing things like products and sex toys and ways of us having pleasure mm. again it's back to that pleasure is the measure but yeah where we can incorporate all these different things into our sex lives in order that we can still be satisfied yeah and we know that people who've lost sexual functioning through things like cancer and spinal cord injuries can still have satisfying sex can still feel satisfied in their relationships, have intimacy. And it's about adapting or working around it or finding a new way. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? When you say intimacy, the word intimacy is such a different word to sex. Sex almost mm. feels harsh. And I do think it's because of the way that we've, well, I've been brought up maybe, you know, sex is this big thing you've got to achieve. Whereas mm. intimacy is this, it just feels like a, it just feels nicer. Well, we can have intimacy without sex and sex without intimacy. Yeah. And for some people, sex might be how they feel intimate with their partners, whereas for others, it might not be really anything to do with that. Mm. And so, again, that's about, it's kind of where we started, which is that sex can mean different things to different people. Yeah, absolutely. Kate, we end each podcast with you completing three sentences. The first one is being a parent means. It is fulfilling but challenging but joyful but someone described it actually to me I don't know if this is finishing the sentence but they said to me it's the most of everything <laughs> and that for me just kind of sums it up so perfectly yeah I like that um the next sentence is if I could tell you one thing it would be you have the power to change your own sex life and sex education can happen across the lifetime and I'm happy when I am with the people I love.
Kate, thank you so much. This is such a massive topic. And as often with podcasts, I think sometimes we just scratch the surface, but hopefully that will get lots of people, you know, heading in your direction and finding out more and finding themselves and helping people individually as well as helping couples. I think that's so important. So thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you. And, you know, I hope that if anything, it just helps people start the conversation. I think the thing that I always want people to take away from these conversations is if you are struggling with it, you don't have to be in the way that you are. Go and try something. There's so many options. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 